I'm Jess. And I'm Regan. And this is You Pick, We Watch, the podcast where you pick the movie and we take a deep dive into it, learning everything we can about your recommendation. Today, we're talking about the 2000 film, Blair Witch 2. And this is week two of our spooky season stuff. And I am glad that this came up so I don't have to watch it later. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Yeah, I had been dreading this since it got put on the list last Halloween-ish. So I'm, I'm glad that it was done. And that's all I'll say for now. <laughs> glad it got it out of the way. Yeah. Um, I don't have much news. I don't have any news. I couldn't see anything this week. I worked a lot this week, so. Okay. Did it's, you have anything? I mean, I've seen things, but I've retained very little of that information. Um, <laughs> I know that the Sopranos prequel movie is coming out October 1st in theaters and on HBO Max. I have seen the trailer for that. Um, And James Gandolfini plays young James Gandolfini. (laughs) Michael Gandolfini. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it looks like it's going to be pretty good. It's got a hell of a cast. Yeah, if you're a Sopranos fan, absolutely. I think you're going to you're going to like this. Um, Oh, in TV news, the new season of Dexter um, got a trailer and Ooh. will be starting, I believe, in November, possibly even October. Don't quote me on that. I don't fact check things. <laughs> it's coming out in the near future. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So other than that, not too much going on. Marvel. Oh, the Hawkeye series got their trailer. Did you watch yeah, that? Yeah, they did. Yeah, I did. That looks like it's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, I thought that that's not Hawkeye's daughter, right? Correct. Okay. Because then I had to look up like who this other person was. Because I thought that they were going to make his daughter that character. But I guess not. I thought the same thing. And <laughs> that wasn't clarified until I saw the trailer. Yeah. So um, that looks good. That'll be the next, I think, the next Marvel Yeah, that's going to be coming out in November. Okay, and Eternals is November 5th. Yes. So those will be uh, similar. Um, I I saw Shang-Chi the other day, and that was pretty great. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge say... fan of Kung Fu, so. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what I think uh, was one of the best parts about it is there were times when, like, I, I felt like there were references to other, like, Kung Fu movies or, like, at least, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There's I might be fishing for a couple of those, but I was like, oh, yeah, I remember something happening like that in, like, Rush Hour 2 or, like, Kung Fu Hustle or something. Yeah, no, I totally think that they paid homage to other Kung Fu movies. Um, I think the cast was great. I think Aquafina and him are going to, like, bring the comedy duo, like, that's going to be missing with Robert Downey Jr. and um, 
Captain America. I can't remember his name. Chris, <laughs> Chris yeah. Evans. Yeah. Yeah. Because like a lot of funny people are no longer in the movies. So I think bringing some funny people will help. Yeah. And I like how uh, Shang-Chi isn't really like he's not a super serious character all the time. Right. He's he's pretty funny in his own right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be good. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Aquafina. I've only seen her in like three things, but she's excellent. Um, she has a show on it's on Comedy Central, but it's on HBO Max as well. Um, mm. called Aquafina is Nora from Queens. I'll be and, checking that out next. Yeah, it's it's like how she grew up in her life, but like kind of obviously liberties are taken and stuff. It's like where she's from, things that happen to her that she takes from her comedy, and it's it's pretty funny. It's she's really <laughs> funny. It's a lot more raunchy too than you're probably used to seeing her in. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's get this. Uh, let's get this going. Here's this week's get to know you question, in the spirit of spookiness and Halloween coming, and this movie. Have you ever been on a haunted trail or a ghost hunt? Nope, because I get entirely way too creeped out. <laughs> I'm I'm the guy who doesn't die in the horror movie because I don't go on the whatever the plot's about. You know, I'm, eh, it's fine. You guys go have fun. Gotcha. Um, I have gone on a couple. I've gone on a couple down in Saint Augustine, uh, which is the oldest city in one of the oldest cities in north america Hmm. um in saint augustine florida and you do like a little walk and stuff and they tell you like history and like they show you um the cemetery at night and stuff and it's pretty cool um and then go ahead I'm sorry. I don't know how I forgot this. Uh, on my senior trip, we went on a, a little walking tour of Salem, Massachusetts at night. Oh, yeah. Or, wait, no, Boston. Boston? Both, I well, can't remember. They happen in both cities. Yeah. So, um, I've been on a daytime one in Boston, I'm pretty sure, because Boston's close to me. Um, but one of the biggest things that I remember growing up as a kid as like a child like i'm talking under 10 years old my grandparents one of my grandparents is from down east maine which is like the most eastern part of maine jonesboro or jonesport it takes like six hours to get there but we would pass through this town that had a cemetery in it where there is a leg um on one of the tombstones and there's like a whole big story behind it And I remember my grandparents stopping every time we went out there and telling me the story. And it spooked me, like, all the time. Um, Yeah. It is in Bucksport Cemetery, and it bears roughly in the shape of a woman's lower leg. According to the legend, the stain is the leg and the foot of a witch, and that the mark has reappeared whenever the tombstone has been replaced. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty uh it's pretty cool. So it's one of the things I remember growing up. Um I always wanna go and do ghost hunts, but I also get very scared. 
And uh, my mom lives in the woods. And me and my friend, uh, my friend Dougie, and another person at one point, like, tried to walk back this. I've, I've lived here, my lived there my whole life. We tried to walk down the trail out back of my parents' house. And I could only get halfway because I was like, this is too spooky. Let's go back. <laughs> That's also part of it is, like, since I go camping a lot, I don't want to, like, make myself scared like any more scared of being isolated in the woods as i can do you go camping like these guys go camping with just sleeping on the ground and no tents <laughs> uh i mean not exactly but well there's a there's a difference between these guys and how i do it is they pass out drunk outside of their tent and i usually do that inside of the tent but that's usually like the only difference <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of this overview of the movie, a group of tourists arrive in Burkittsville, Maryland, after seeing the Blair Witch Project, the, the original one in 1999, to explore the mythology and phenomenon, only to come face to face with their own neuroses and possibly the witch herself. Now, here's a two-part question. Did you see the Blair Witch Project Probably not when it came out because you were what, like six, <laughs> nine? nine years old. Yeah. Um, the Blair Witch Project came out at like the perfect time for me because I was like 13, 14. Um, and it was right at the advent of the internet. So I never saw the movie. I still haven't seen the original and my wife. Like, she's like, why are you watching the second one if you've never seen the first one? I'm like, I don't need to see the first one. I've seen enough spoofs and, like, and like stuff on it to know exactly what happens. Um, and watching this, it just, like, brought me back to that time period because it was done the, the year after in the 2000s. So I was like, oh, I miss this time period so much. Um, so... Have you ever seen it? Have you seen the original uh, since then or at all? I have not seen it at all. Yeah, because it would spook us. It absolutely would spook. I mean, I'm at a point where, you know, I can. <laughs> when I was younger, I couldn't really handle horror movies to the degree in which I can now. Now I can really like appreciate them. I just, you know, haven't really sought that out. Right. I think that one would still truly scare me, even though I know it's fake and I know, but like, that was the thing back then you didn't know it was fake because the internet was barely a thing. Yeah. I remember having discussions in like in school where people were telling me like, Oh no, this is a documentary. This actually happened. And then someone else arguing like, it's a movie. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Like and the website did such a good job, like, promoting that it was real. You didn't oh, yeah. know what, what could happen. So, knowing that, what was your initial reaction to this movie? I, I set the bar pretty low going in because <laughs> I, you know, didn't expect this to have, like, a great reputation or anything. And I... I'll say I'm going to wait to give my opinion until we were at the thumbs section. <laughs> um, well, I will say that 
we talk a lot about timepieces and how movies, some movies can definitely be a piece of time. And this is most absolutely a timepiece from 1999-2000. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, let's get into the cast. Who, the only person that I recognize is the main character. Um, the one that was in the hospital, Jeff. Yep, Jeffrey Donovan. Yeah, because yeah. he was in Burn Notice. That's right. And whatever made him get rid of the half goatee thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things where I saw this and I was like, yep, yep, late 90s, early 2000s. That's about right. Yep. Um, did you, my favorite part of this movie, not even going to lie, was the MTV News scroll at the beginning. Hmm. <laughs> when it was like do 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 and then Kurt Loder comes up I'm like ah oh, I missed this <laughs> um did you recognize anybody else from that nope no nope. yeah he was the only person that um I mean there's a couple cast members that look like they, they look like they should be familiar but when I'm looking at this IMBD page right now, yeah, I don't, I don't recognize anyone. Yeah, I'm gonna look at Kim. The I believe she played the goth girl. Yeah, um, because she looked familiar. And I'm just gonna do a quick run through. Wow, this was only her fifth movie, and. Yeah, nothing. Nothing really jumps out. She just looked really familiar. Yeah. So that's okay. Oh, she's in that new Oh, she was in that new uh show Nosferatu. Okay. She was just in an episode of that, but um she still acts. She's still in a lot of things. Um it looks like she does do horror mostly. Um, and I feel like that kind of happens with people. Like, if you start in horror movies, you don't really ever get out of them unless you're a truly fantastic, like, actress or actor. Yeah, I'm hard-pressed to think of any actors that I know started out in horror movies that have really, you know, jumped into more mainstream stuff. I would say, like, really the only person that first comes to mind is probably Jamie Lee Curtis um, <laughs> yeah. who can do anything. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I would say everybody was cast pretty well. I mean, the movie wasn't badly cast. They're not great actors, but yeah. And that's, that's also something that I was pleasantly surprised by is usually like sequel movies like this. I'll just say that at the bare minimum, I felt like all of these characters could more or less act, you know, or all the actors, you know, because usually the further away you get from um, like the first movie that comes out in a series, it feels like you're kind of hitting the bottom of the bucket as far as like talent goes that they Mm -hmm. get into the movie. And I feel like there, (laughs) there aren't any scenes that stick out to me where someone was reading lines and you know very blatantly reading lines like the main character in scanners Mm, yes 
I agree with that. I think the only time that I felt that somebody was not really playing up to their part was uh, the boyfriend. Um, I can't remember his name, but the the boyfriend when he's like crying in the uh, police station. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Uh, it's funny because he's you can tell he's trying really hard, but for some reason it's just not landing. Yeah, that line. I think it's the line. Honestly, yeah. Um. So, would uh, you start us off with some trivia? Okay. So, um, as Matt B pointed out in the Discord, uh, the movie does contain several images of words, faces, and those little creepy stick figure things throughout the movie. And apparently, the movie features a hidden message if you watch it closely enough. Um, one of the hidden symbol things is around 47 minutes when there's the, the creepy dude repairing the refrigeration unit at the roadside store. His pile of tools are stacked in the shape of one of those creepy stick figurines. Yeah, I think that one says it's better if you're in widescreen, and I was not watching in widescreen today. And I get so upset when I don't watch movies in widescreen because I, I know that I'm missing stuff on the sides. <laughs> Yeah, right. widescreen is uh, the superior screen, if you ask me. I used to hate it as a kid. I'd be <laughs> like, oh, there's black bars. It's taking away from the movie, but it doesn't. I used to think that exact same thing, too. <laughs> um, what? Okay, so my kind of favorite piece of trivia that I found was most of the people in Burkittsville disapproved of the sequel. Because I guess this is actually a real town, right? Mm -hmm. And as Berliner says, who's the director, um, they basically like tried to chase them out of town. <laughs> the documentary style footage at the beginning of the film was real people, actual residents who like really talked to them and like gave their opinions and stuff which I thought was kind of really cool. That is cool. Huh. Um, I'm pretty sure that this movie was sponsored by Moosehead Beer, because you see that <laughs> logo yeah. here and there. And a uh, fun fact about Moosehead Beer is it's great, and I love it. And that's <laughs> that's the fact. It's, it's good stuff. It's good lager. I'm going to look it up right now. Moosehead <laughs> Beer. Moosehead reigns with me, or reminds me of stuff, because Moosehead is in Maine. And oh. there's a big lake there. Um, oh, it's from Canada. Very interesting. There's another little fact for you. <laughs> the facts that no one asked for. Did you feel that this movie was two or three movies in one? Um, the way that it was shot. It, the way that it was shot. Okay, yeah, kind of. If if you're saying it like that, because they use like some of the uh, handheld camera stuff, but I'd say most of it's more like traditional. Yeah, it it doesn't feel too jarring to me because it kind of works with the story. But I don't know. How do you feel about that? What do you? Um, yeah, that part it kind of works for me. But how about, okay, 
the tone. These different tones in the movie that don't mesh as well as they should. Um, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because with me, um, I felt like it was trying to be both a thriller suspense movie and like this over the top gory movie. Because in those like first ten minutes or so, when you see like the stabbing of the people and it's like such fake blood and like just looks awful, but then you get like the really suspenseful uh like wood scene when they're like where'd that tree come from and like you're kind of like waiting for something to happen but you don't really ever see anything happen um and i was surprised not really surprised but like it made more sense when i found out that the shots of gore that are interspersed throughout the opening credits and like throughout the whole movie um were a studio edition and not something that the director actually wanted in them. Um, he said, I believe that the gore in the movie fights with the ambiguity that I purposely tried to nurture, but that's life in studio filmmaking. He said he also notes that in his original screenplay, there's no gore at all, uh, which I would like to see that movie. I would like to see the no gore thing. Agreed. Um, he said the studio had a certain point of view, and, and I did it. The gory scenes were shot five weeks before the film's wide release. So they had already finished this movie. And then they went back and did this. Yeah, it's one of those things where it at this point, it doesn't really surprise me because, you know, studios are trying to make money and sometimes they make not so great calls for like reshoots and changing things about the uh the movie that kind of affect the overall feel or aesthetic of it because mm-hmm. um I, I guess they were trying to make it very much different from the first one because the first one had been so it had been parodied so much since its release that they deliberately avoided the you know shaky camera work and stylistic cliches of documentary filmmaking and I don't know. I guess it was the first one feels super creative with how they made it from what I know about it. And then this one feels like leaning away from the things that made the first one so creative and interesting because even just over the course of a year, like the exposure of that was just everywhere. Yeah, um, I know everything about this movie based on scary movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm so scared right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's, I just, it has been spooked. But now, like, almost so many horror movies are done in shaky cam and, like, uh, documentary film style and stuff. Yeah. I think Paranormal Activity was, like, the, the one that took that to a whole new level um, when that yeah. came out. There was actually a movie Sister Saw, and it reminded me of Blair Witch because you didn't know if it was real or if it was fake. And yes, I'm just pulling it up right now. Um, It's called The Devil Inside in 2012. Did you ever see that? No, I've heard about it, though. Okay. So... 
basically it's like the same thing. It's a documentary style movie um, about a woman who becomes involved with a series of exorcisms. And then kind of the same thing that happens at the end of Blair Witch Project. Like you don't know if these people like lived or died or whatever. Um, And it happens like the same thing. And it takes a real case, I think, and like works back from it. So that movie like really reminded me of the Blair Witch Project, um, but done later and better. So if anybody wants something similar, that's what you should look at. I feel like the the movies that try like some sort of technique, some some sort of new technique first, are always like considered classics or you know super interesting, a lot of buzz around them, but the next movie that tries the same similar, I don't know, similar technique later on is usually more polished. Is that kind of how it feels? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was actually surprised that this came the next year after the Blair Witch Project premiered because like after the success of that movie, which I think financially it was insane how much that movie made compared to its budget. Um, the production company was eager to produce a sequel while the film's popularity was still at its peak. But um, the studio that created the original film, uh, they weren't ready to begin work on a follow-up and they wanted to wait until the initial buzz had died down. But the producers were like, no, we're doing it. Load the gun, fire it. And so they actually proceeded without them and hired Joe Berlinger, who had previously um, only done true documentaries to direct the movie. Yeah, and he actually went on to say that he wanted Book of Shadows um, to serve as both a standard horror movie as well as a look at violence in the media and how media drives fanaticism seen. My computer just died on me (laughs) um seen with the movie phenomenon like the Blair Witch Project um which drives into your point he said to me the movie is about the dangers of blurring the lines between fiction and reality I actually think the movie did that really well you know as as far as the the meta concept of the Blair Witch Project being a movie (laughs) like being a theatrical movie within this movie yeah, I um I agree with that. It did do I I wasn't I knew there was gonna be some type of thing like to kind of explain stuff, but uh, I thought that the whole explanation how it came out was really good and how it used uh it still used video cameras and tapes to tell the story almost. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's a that's a good point. It feels like the the first movie you have the point of view is from the cameras, and in this movie, a lot of things that are creepy or you know, move, serve to advance like the plot and stuff come from like editing and like mm-hmm. like them actually rewatching the footage that they've already captured, which I thought was that's an interesting thing to do. Yeah. Um. Did you notice how there was like one of each like stereotype almost in this movie like each Um, character was a stereotype i didn't well sort of 
sort of in the sense that there is like a goth girl and a wiccan and a stoner <laughs> yeah um Berlinger notes that the different characters in his film and how they represent different archetypes in American culture and how they reacted to the Blair Witch Project um, included in the movie, like we said, are the Wiccans, um, who I guess were upset with the way the first film misrepresented them because Wiccans are very loving Earth, not so much like the witches of like the 1600s that people think of. Um, the goth crowd. Um, who were infatuated with paranormal and outside the box um, nature of the first film, which I totally remember the goth people in school being like, this is the greatest movie ever. <laughs> um, <clears throat> intellects who wanted to debate, debate the film's mythos, um, which would be the couple who were, you know, one was saying it was real, one was saying it was fake. And then the entrepreneurs, uh, the people who are looking to make money off the first film's success, which would be like almost the studio in this aspect. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I did, when I was looking up stuff about the movie, I saw the soundtrack for it you know just all the tracks listed and it was it's a pretty legit like soundtrack for the 2000s like late 90s early 2000s um yeah when manson comes out in the first song heck yeah <laughs> yeah I, that, I was <laughs> great segue um it was actually originally supposed to open the movie to frank sinatra's song witchcraft which gave off a much lighter atmosphere before the plot unfolded but the uh, production company forced the director to use Marilyn Manson's Disposable Teens as the opening scene for a punk rock feel instead, which, as far as titles of songs for horror movies go, that's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, let's go through some. Uh, I have the soundtrack actually up right now. Um, so we've got Marilyn Manson. Uh, we've got Poe. Do you remember Poe? They were very like I had one CD. I think I only knew this one song. That was when you had to buy CDs for one song. Mm, yep. Remember those uh, days? <laughs> you have System of a Down. Oh yeah. You've got uh, Tony Amoni featuring Dave Grohl. Uh, Elastica. Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, Nickelback. <laughs> got P.O.D. right? Oh, uh, yep, P.O.D. Um, Rob Zombie. Uh, and those are like the ones I know off the top of my head. But then you've got like Death in Vegas. Um, Diamond, Glass, Godhead, Plexi, Project 86. So there's like some, I assume some underground stuff. People like that. But that is totally, totally 2000s. <laughs> It's it's a good soundtrack for that time, for sure. Especially, well, given the direction they wanted to go with the movie. Yeah. It almost feel, has like a rock, like rock horror. I don't know how else to describe that. I, I know exactly what you mean. Alternative, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Um, Berlinger based his casting decisions largely on group chemistry between actors. 
um, as the film was going to be anchored exclusively around their collective experience. The casting period, according to Berlinger, only lasted for six weeks in New York City. Um, originally, Tristine Schuyler auditioned for the role played by Erica. Um, audition? Where's the... F what am I trying to find here? Da -da 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 -da. Okay, yeah. Jeffrey Donovan originally auditioned and who's the boyfriend in the movie, but Berlinger uh, felt he fit better the role for the group leader, which I, I think I agree with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, another like blurring of the lines was that Berlinger notes that it was his choice to have the characters not react to the amount of paper spilling out of the sky when they awake from their lost night, which was something I noticed. I was like, why are they not questioning why stuff is falling from the sky? Um, and he says the fact that they don't question that it's practically snowing paper was the way Berlinger showed the lines between fiction and reality blurring, which is, I think, a really genius way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, I thought that was ash at first from like the campfire because I've totally had that happen before where you make like a big <laughs> fire and then you fall asleep next to it and then you wake up and it looks like it snowed on you. Oh, that's scary. Don't fall asleep with fire going. <laughs> well it, you know, it keeps the coyotes away you know oh geez you really do camp in the woods <laughs> <laughs> they're more afraid of you than you are of them so if you're terrified you're... of them then they're absolutely scared of you you're gonna get blair witched <laughs> <laughs> okay so that actually was a creepy <laughs> night um i slept outside of the tent next to the fire because it was just such a nice like warm but sort of cool night and the stars were out and it was awesome and I, I woke up in the middle of the night just you know rolling over and in the woods probably like 15 feet from me I see like several pairs of glowing eyes watching me and <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was like well I'm gonna go back to sleep and if I die I die I'm, <laughs> uh, if I end up being a human burrito in the sleeping bag whatever <laughs> that's terrifying oh <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, <laughs> so this uh, the majority of the film was actually shot over a period of 44 days um, in the spring of 2000 on location outside of Baltimore, Maryland. And the exposition scenes featuring the characters camping were shot in Gwyn's Falls Leaking Park. That's that's a hell of a name. Uh, the stone ruins of the Rustin Parr House were constructed out of styrofoam, actually. The scene where Tristan is in the hospital at was shot at an abandoned sanitarium in Baltimore. Okay, that is actually very creepy to me. That's terrifying. And wait, let's just talk about that sanitarium. The guy smoking in the there's the doctor smoking a cigarette as he's putting the feeding tube in his nose. Like that was the creepiest part of the whole movie, I think. Oh yeah. And I kind of wish we got more clarification on what that intro was supposed to be because, like, that doesn't really come back in a meaningful way in the movie. And I was super curious of, like, oh, is that, like, where he ends up at the movie's end? Or, you know, what's going on there? Yeah, all I got from that was that he, like, um, 
was in an insane asylum and then just got left <laughs> out. But I want to know why he was there. Yeah, that that's the exact point I'm getting at is like we we don't know why he was there. It seemed like a pretty rough time, but you know, that's that's it. It's, sanitariums are spooky places, so I guess that's all the thought that was needed to go into that scene. Yeah, and he was like the um the sheriff was like you've been a pain in our side since you were 10. Well, I want to know what happened to him. Why has he been a pain? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> well, some questions don't have answers. Nope. Um, my whole computer just like died again, so <laughs> <laughs> um all right. I am oh it's, it can restore my pages. There we go. Okay. Let me see. Um, the. Wow. Um, so. The. I don't. Sorry, my computer was being bad. Um, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd lean in and help here, but I'm out of facts. Yeah. Um, all right. I will say... Oh, what... here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> he said... Um, he says in the commentary in the movie, which I thought was kind of cool, I tried as a documentary maker not to do the obvious connection to my documentary roots, which would be to do the shaky cam technique, which made the first movie popular. But I didn't feel like that was something I wanted to do. Instead, I tried to find more subtle ways of connecting the film to its documentary t- tradition. Um, and if you notice all throughout this movie, there are so many hidden things and stuff like that. And I think he did a really good job of fighting, finding subtle ways of doing all kinds of stuff in this movie. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Most of those hidden things completely went over my head or I didn't notice them, but I, I like the effort that's put into there. Yeah. Um, So, this movie, like we've talked about, had uh, a 15... It was not a big budget movie. It was a little bit bigger than the first one. But it was a $15 million budget. It actually grossed uh, $26 million um, overall. So, it made back its money. And it almost made it all back in the first week. Um, In the first weekend which was October 29th, which, I mean, how good of... That was an excellent release date for this movie. <laughs> um, it grossed $13 million. And then worldwide, it grossed, almost four, it grossed almost $48 million. So, I mean, we've watched bombs. We've watched movies that did worse than that. Yeah. Um, and this one... I mean, it's not terrible... And it also has a really big cult following, from what I understand. So, yeah. Um, I what surprised me actually in terms of the money that was made on this movie, like the first movie, I think it was made on a budget that was around a quarter to half a million dollars, 
and it grossed 248 million worldwide which is an insane like return on investment with that um and then what surprised me though is that the two sequels actually made about the same amount of money so like you have this one where you spend what like five million dollars on the movie and you make back 45 million uh they did a remake or reboot or something in 2016 um and that actually i think it was made for like 15 million dollars and it again made around like 45 million dollars which i did not expect yeah me neither it um yeah actually the budget's way less than that the budget was only sixty thousand dollars what yeah they pay the actors in peanuts. They weren't real actors. <laughs> Remember, there weren't. Nobody knows who these people were. They never did anything else. I don't think. Okay, I actually didn't know that. Um, just while we're talking about the film, isn't the first Blair Witch Project is actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for top budget box office ratio. And the, the film cost sixty thousand to make and made back two hundred forty-eight million, a ratio of one dollar spent for every ten thousand nine hundred thirty-one dollars made. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, nobody requests this because I will not watch the first one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to be spooked that bad. Um. But, like, based on the Blair Witch Project, it also recommends The Ring and The Descent. And both of those movies are really good. And uh, you can request those if you'd like. I've actually never seen either of those. I'm very familiar with both, but I've never actually sat down and watched those. I watched a lot of horror movies in, like, the early 2000s. I don't know why. Because I can't. I can't do that anymore. Like, they actually scare me now. But, like, well, back in the day, I don't know what I was doing, but watching these, yeah. Well, there was kind of, like, a like a horror movie boom in that time of, like, there, as mm-hmm. far as, like, famous 2000s horror movies coming out, you know, The Ring. I remember that one being huge. And yep. The Grudge, I think. Yep, The Grudge. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I mean, most of my horror knowledge does come from scary movies <laughs> i was hoping you're gonna say that because me too <laughs> but i feel like i know them um going back to what else came out in the 2000 around that time we had uh in october we had meet the parents so that came out and then in november charlie's angels and then also how the grinch stole christmas so Holiday time is a hard time. I'm surprised not more than not more horror movies like were able to bump in there, but scary movie actually came out in July that year. Hmm. So Yeah. I Pretty love those cool. movies. As far as parody movies go, I, I feel like the first four scary movies are just absolutely hilarious. Oh yeah, they're it's gold. Like Anna Ferris, that <laughs> she makes those movies. Yep. Um, so bouncing off of last week, uh, I looked into the ratings on this just to see. 
And uh, it's rated R in the U.S. Obviously, there's a lot of titty. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, gore. There's some man butt. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but in Singapore, it's rated PG. <laughs> it does have cuts. It is cut up a little bit, but it is rated PG. Um, in Japan, it's PG-12. And in France, it's 12. Hmm. And I would say in France, that almost makes sense because a lot of our rating R is probably due to the nudity. Yeah. Um, and, f- and Europe doesn't really care about nudity. We're a very prude country. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, also, I, I read some article like months ago that was saying that like France, I think if I'm remembering this correctly, just like raised their age of consent to like 14 or something. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. That's all I'm going to say about that. Draw your own conclusions. Yeah. So um, I kind of like looking into that stuff. So I think that's going to be fun for the future, seeing what our movies are rated in other countries. Um, if you are from another country, explain your rating system to us. <laughs> explain yourself. <laughs> no, I, I would absolutely love to learn about that. Yeah, me too. So that being said, well, we have reached the part of our podcast where we give our final thoughts and you find out whether we give this thumb, this thumb, this movie, <laughs> two thumbs up, two thumbs down or anything in between. Um, I want you to go first this week. I can absolutely do that. So I went, like I said, I went into this movie with the bar pretty low. Um, I know it doesn't have a great like reputation as a sequel i was also really confused because for some reason my brain was telling me that a young paul rudd was in this movie and he absolutely isn't i don't know where i got that from (laughs) so i was like a little confused as the movie went on of like when's paul rudd gonna (laughs) gonna show up um yeah so i didn't really have any expectations i will say i was pleasantly this is a weird sentence, but I'm, I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't worse. Like, I was expecting it to be worse than it was. And I feel like, as it stands, it feels like a pretty legit horror movie of its time. Like, if we're comparing it to more recent, you know, horror movies, not going to hold up well. But I think that it does, it does like just enough right to not completely suck um i thought that as far as the cast goes like everyone did a pretty good job acting like i said none of the none of the uh line deliveries felt super forced or you know wooden i think i really do like jeffrey donovan he just he's i don't know maybe it's from burn notice i i have a soft spot for for that guy um <laughs> I like his line though when he's giving his card to the tourists. He's like, yeah, here's my card. Call me. I'm on the web. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's such a 2000s thing to say. I love it. Um yeah. I did think it was funny how they were super bothered about how like they blacked out for a few hours considering how much they drank and smoked. I was like, that's <laughs> you should be expecting that. <laughs> you had Jack Daniels and Jameson and beer and weed. What do you think was going to happen? But that campfire montage looks super fun, and I want to be a part of that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, so I'll say that it was... It, it's not the best horror movie I've ever seen, but it was a little more legit than I was expecting. Um, I feel like as far as the plot goes, it's a little more confusing than it should be with like the the dead children or whatever. I know they explain it, but I, I don't know. It, it didn't really didn't really um, do a whole lot for me. The cast, I think the cast and the chemistry they have is what what gave me the most enjoyment out of the movie. And because of that, I'd say, you know, I'd give it I, I I'd give this thumb one movie up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That was fantastic. Um, I agree with you on quite a bit of points. Um, that the cast actually, the cast and the chemistry they had was really good. Um, but I still don't really know how to feel about this movie and. Honestly, maybe it's because I never had a great connection with the first film. I never saw it. I just grew up in that time period. But like I said earlier, I feel like it was trying to be two separate movies. A suspenseful, like, thriller movie and then a gory movie. And I think that it just didn't mesh as well for me as I wanted it to. Um, I agree with you, though, that I was surprised at how much it how much worse it could have been. Um, I think the soundtrack is dope. It definitely feeds into that era of time. And I think it does an excellent job of showing what hysteria in the modern age of the internet was becoming. Um, Could you imagine if something like that came out now and how fast it would either be debunked or like it would spread like wildfire? Oh, yeah. This was like just starting to show you what was to come. Um, But I also think that it just kind of missed the mark for me. I didn't find myself scared, which I am so thankful for. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad that it didn't scare me. Um, And I do think it had like the potential to be one of the, a really great thriller if they had stuck to that one theme. But at the end, I, like you said, I just felt confused and really know what was going on, who I was like worried for. I do think the payoff makes sense, and I like how they did that. Um, but and I'm so glad that it was only like 90 minutes. Hmm. Like it had no right being longer than that, and he did. They did a good job making it what it needed to be. But overall, I'm gonna go one thumb down. Just because of the two separate feelings I get during the movie. That completely makes sense to me. Yeah. So, um, but again, not the worst movie we've seen. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think if I was going in expecting a straight up horror movie and to be scared, comparing it to the original, I probably wouldn't have liked it at all but yeah since i'm (laughs) since this is taking a look at a movie you know 21 years back um yeah it's i i felt like i was there to enjoy like a a time capsule movie which is exactly what it was yep exactly so 
moving on um, to viewer mail. We didn't get emails, but in the Discord, if you guys haven't been in there, we have uh, Matt B, who did recommend this one, right? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Oh, no, I hit something on my computer. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Computer's a piece of junk. Anyway, um, so Matt B goes, so Blair Witch 2. I was a goth punk kid in high school. I bought the movie on VHS from Blockbuster, which is the most 2000 line, the most year 2000 line anybody has ever written. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right up there with, give me a call. I'm on the net. Yeah. Um, It is a 2000s goth kid style movie. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. The soundtrack is Marilyn Manson, Rob Zombie, System of Down, Godhead, P.O.D., Queens of the Stone Age, etc. It has a 90s goth character, a semi-realistic Wiccan. The two yuppies are called out as as such, and Jeffrey Donovan is an anti-establishment, kind of nerdy alternative dude. Absolutely. This movie has tons of little details that you only notice when rewatching it. There are hidden Blair Witch stickmen and pentagrams in a lot of scenes, hidden words that appear and disappear, and parts that make sense if you watch the scene backwards which hmm. matt tell me which scenes because i would love to check that out at the time this seemed really cool also i was 14 and there was a bunch of nudity <laughs> <laughs> and we totally agree Matt. um and let's just see if there was anything else Yeah, there's, <laughs> he goes, his overall says, he goes, it was not as good as I remembered, but the soundtrack still slaps. <laughs> and heck yes. Slap it does. Um, he also says that one of the things that may have happened was in the streaming version, um, the words that pop up in the scenes are on the VHS, but um, and they could be combined into a message, but it's not really on the streaming version. Hmm. So we may have missed some of that stuff. Um, and, but yeah, we uh, we love that. So, um, what else? Oh yeah, we had um recommendation also from Matt B. And he says, and I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add these to the Halloween list because it's that time. He says, when I went to watch Blair Witch Two, I noticed Queen of the Damned is on Tubi. Also, if you guys aren't watching Tubi, it's fantastic. It's free. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, the soundtrack to that movie is amazing, but the movie is kind of subpar. However, it's in the same book series as Interview with a Vampire, which is a great movie and my suggestion for this week. So then I said, which one? Interview with a Vampire or Queen of the Damned or both? And he said, uh, Interview or both. And I said, both is good. So Both is good. And then, yeah, Regan, you also said both is good. Um, so we are added Interview with a Vampire and Queen of the Damned. They will go onto the spooky list. Let's see if my computer will work to pull up the list since I have the Halloween pickers. I have to add them to that. 
Queen of the Damned, an interview with a vampire. All right. Well, I think that was a great uh, second week, and I can't wait to see uh, what's next. What are you looking forward to? Honestly, either one of those movies. I am really holding out, really crossing my fingers that we'll get one of those for next week. Well, you win. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we are going to watch Interview with a Vampire. Nice. And, of course, it's another movie that has traumatized me. <laughs> so, I remember... As a kid, my mom and my aunt and my grandmother are watching this movie, and there's a scene in it that traumatized me, and I haven't watched it since, and I was probably like 10, 9, <laughs> something like that. So, can't wait to relive that moment. <laughs> Facing our fears next week. Exactly. All right. Uh, with that, then, Regan, you can take us out. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, we're going to discuss uh, Interview with a Vampire. Uh, you can help select which movie goes on our list next by emailing the podcast at youpickwewatch at gmail.com. You can also message us through Facebook, Twitter, or Discord at youpickwewatch. Um, I will say the I feel like the horror movie wheel is doesn't have as many titles on it, so you're more likely to see what you recommend sooner rather than later. Um, I'm Regan. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Author Regan Brooks. And I'm Jess. You can find me on Twitter at RadMadMal. Um, also in the Discord this week, we had some fun conversations um, about some Fathom events that happened in theaters. Um, talking just about what we're seeing, um, getting some good conversations on the movies of the week. So if you're not in the Discord, um, definitely pop in there. Um, also wanted to say, if you didn't see the post on Facebook, thanks again to everybody who has liked the Facebook page and has uh, joined in there. We are so close to 100 likes or follows. I'm not 100% how it works. No one knows how it works, but... <laughs> We're close to 100, um, which is pretty awesome, considering we just do this for fun. And sometimes we don't do it every week, and you guys still stay with us. <laughs> <laughs> and we really appreciate that. We try so hard, guys. My, I know my editing skills are lacking, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we have a lot of fun, and we really appreciate each and every one of you listening and joining and all that good stuff, so... Um, we will see you next week um, and we'll have an interview with a vampire for you. <laughs> I, what, you faked me up pretty good with that. I, I was like, who are we interviewing? Oh my God, who's the guest? <laughs> if I could only get Brad Pitt, we all would be good. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you next week. Don't go on haunted tours. <laughs>